McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Today, we welcome Sandra Minna, an exceptional individual whose diverse background and expertise in healthcare and education are truly inspiring. Sandra's journey showcases her remarkable resilience and dedication to both healthcare and education. With a background in German studies, adult education, and teaching, Sandra's passion for learning and helping others is evident in her career trajectory. Currently, Sandra's expertise shines brightly in the neonatal intensive care unit, where she works as an RN specializing in the care of premature babies in a 2C setting. Her dedication to providing compassionate and specialized care to those vulnerable newborns and their families is a testament to her deep understanding of the medical field and her commitment to making a positive impact. In addition to her work in the NICU, Sandra is also a Health 811 clinical advisor. In this role, she collaborates with Telehealth Ontario to provide crucial clinical advice and education to the public. This dynamic role requires Sandra to work closely with EMS and 911 partners, emphasizing her ability to effectively communicate and collaborate with various stakeholders in the healthcare system. Join us in exploring Sandra's journey, gaining insights into her multifaceted career, and uncovering the wisdom she gained through her experiences. Welcome, Sandra. Sandra, when I was looking at your, um, you know, your bio and checking you out, you know, the famous thing, everybody looks on LinkedIn, you know, no problem. <laughs> Let's check out Sandra on LinkedIn. One of the things that struck me is you're a serious student. So your education did not start and end at McMaster. So maybe talk to me a little bit about why you've continued your um, educational journey and mm -hmm. uh, why you've made the choices that you've made. Because at Mac, you completed your nursing um, degree with a minor in German studies. We'll touch on that later. But to mm -hmm. me, it was really interesting that you, all, all the different things that you've taken since McMaster. So I have to say Mac still continues to this day to be my favorite higher education setting. And um, no matter what other place I went to, the campus and the student life there and the community, the sense of belonging in the community there was always my favorite in comparison to any of the other locations that I've been at. Um, so I started out in nursing. Growing up, I always thought I wanted to be uh, a teacher, specifically in French, French education. And then all of a sudden around grade 11 started developing a, a big interest in like nursing um, and a part of it was just challenging cultural norms because with like within my own culture it's more there's the triangle of you're either a physician uh, an engineer or a lawyer a dentist sometimes and then everything else is kind of outside of okay um the norm uh, and I remember having some struggles with my parents first because they were like well we didn't put you throughout all of that education to become a nurse so there there was an element of challenging the norm when I was entering into that field initially um reason why I selected a minor in German studies is because as an immigrant my parents have placed me in German schooling and I never got to complete my German schooling because of immigration um so I just wanted something that academically stated that I still had um, German in my studies. Where were you born, but Sandra? Egypt. Born and raised Egypt. there. So born and raised I came in here when I was 14. In 14. 14 okay. Yeah. Um, and then doing nursing, I realized that there was a lot of patient education 
that you complete within your usual day-to-day, whether you're precepting a new staff member, precepting students, like if you're part of a teaching hospital, you don't get to choose whether or not you're going to have a, a new hire or a new student that you're orienting. Um, as well as the family-centered care, there's a lot of teaching within neonatal intensive care. So I am teaching, might as well pursue it on an academic level as well. So my manager always knew that I wanted to go back while working. um, And that's the beauty of nursing. You can do other things while still continuing to work at the bedside because there is the flexibility. So you um, did a bachelor in education. Um, So you have your B.Ed. And I think it's health informatics as well you've done. So was it important for you to do your to get your teaching degree to do you think or was it just something that you just like I just I decided to become a nurse but I still have in the back of my mind maybe I do want to be a teacher that's a great question so I decided that in hopes of a good work-life balance I want to start out at clinical at bedside and then eventually planning for the future I want uh, a place where I can teach but at the same time achieve some sort of a balance because shift work is it has its own benefits. It has its many, many pros, but it also has its cons um, that I that I was able to see at that time. So the Bachelor of Education, the beauty of technological education, which is the field where I specialized in, is that you could have um, a plumber, an HVAC personnel, a photographer, a hairdresser, a nurse, uh, a physician, different trades, members of different trades, they go into the Bachelor of Education uh, not to learn about their trade because they're already experts in their own trade, but rather to learn how to teach. So it's called technological education. And my field was specifically healthcare. So I learned how to teach individuals that are incoming students into healthcare or clinicians that um, are now needing some sort of a a continuous education. The clinical informatics was more because um, I was working with Baxter and as part of the infusion and pumps uh, education that we would do for the different hospitals across Canada, I needed to get some sort of a knowledge in terms of integration and technology and how technology speaks to one another between different equipments that makes our job easier at the bedside. So that was a postgraduate certificate with uh, University of Windsor. So for today, you're still in the hospital system, correct? In both hospital and education. So I have a full-time and I have a casual. Okay. So what's your full-time job? So recently, um, about four months ago, I moved uh, from clinical education with Baxter to clinical advisory with um, previously known as Telehealth Ontario. Uh, currently, it's with St. Elizabeth, uh, and it's called 811. So instead of calling 911, you call 811, okay. um, and you're connected to the provincial uh, teletriaging nurse advice line. So we do an assessment with the person, we build a mental image of what's happening with them, and then based on the protocols and guidelines that exist provincially, we then determine, okay, you should go to uh, an emergency department now versus you should be seen within two, three weeks versus four hours, but here is the disposition statement and here is the care advice that we tell you what to follow in order to remain safe until you're seen by a clinician. And this is for the purposes of hopefully um, reducing the number of unnecessary visits in the provincial emergency departments to reduce the wait times. Do people know about it, do you think? I th- there's been rebranding. So okay. the whole concept from the move from Telehealth Ontario to 811, um, there's been a lot of different advertisements to it. I don't think it's enough. Uh, but as I speak with more people, they're like, oh, I never knew this existed. But it's actually 811 from any province that you co- are in. It connects you to your provincial 811 service. Just so- like 511, 311, 911. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that 
I, I think through the pandemic, right? I'm sure the pandemic had, had a big in, impact on how people were became much more a little bit more comfortable about actually speaking to someone like you and I are talking on Zoom today and having a uh, a conversation about that. So, do you think the pandemic helped with that sort of technology and that sort of healthcare, or where do you see it going? So, I've I wasn't working at um, Saint Elizabeth Healthcare uh, Services Navigation at that time, but from my understanding, when in the preception and the orientation phase, is that this came very handy during the pandemic because there were certain criteria that if you didn't meet them, you were not going to go to your doctor's office. So, uh, it was good to have an assessment with uh, an RN or an NP and to be able to be seen. And now they're introducing uh, video conferencing as well. Um, so apparently, the wait times during the pandemic, they would be much longer because everyone who needs access to um, an assessment was calling 811. But now that things have opened up a bit more, um, people are able to access the in-person visits as well. Yeah. So that's your full-time job. Which part-time job? I'm still at the NICU in Trillium. Um, so on a casual basis now, I moved uh, to a casual role where I get to select my own schedule. So if there is a gap, uh, a hole in the schedule and I'm available, I can pick up. There's obviously certain requirements to how many I'm supposed to keep up in order to maintain my clinical skills um, in such a vastly like changing environment. Uh, but I do love that because I still get to, like one job helps me do my other job better and the other job helps me function better at the other job. So they kind of work hand in hand. There is teaching, there is advising, and there is the hands-on. And I get to be with the babies, which I love the most. Yeah. So do you think that that's going to be the way it is for the next little bit for you, like balancing the two different roles? Because, you know, everybody needs a break and uh, a full-time job is a full-time job. Um, I find, and I was really about this podcast that it, it wasn't going to be sugar-coated at all, where I was going to share the true experience. Um, I love my job at 811. However, it does involve a lot of talking. Yeah. Um, so it's minute to minute you're talking with the public. So I do want a role where I would bring this down to a minimal hours where I can pick up when I'm available. However, the full time to focus again on clinical simulation, curriculum development, um, guidelines, policies development, because that's where my heart is. Um, and that's the only way that I see for me that I'm able to change and fa shape the direction of where things are going. If I see that there is a gap um, in what we're doing right now in our practice and where things should be in order to make it safer and more efficient. So we talked a little bit about, um, you know, your expectations of your parents um, and uh, cultural background about what sort of educational and vocation you would 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 do. So let's go back to that time just a little bit. And so you made the decision for nursing. What made McMaster the place you wanted to come to? So initially, I actually wanted Ottawa. Um, and my sister was in Dalhousie um, and in the coast. So my parents at that time, we just immigrated. We're all here. My sister is on one coast. And I was like, hey, I'm going to Ottawa. Um, I had full scholarship there. And then my parents put a foot down and said, no, you're applying to McMaster. And I'm like, I'm not going to get in, guys. They, like Their their program is very competitive. I'm not going to get in. Um, and to this day, I'm very thankful that I got in, but I have no <laughs> clue how I got in. Uh, but it was the best thing ever because um, they're small problem-based learning. Uh, the concept of PBL, which they're pioneers for, um, they truly have shaped our ability to engage with difficult situations um, and to have a process, maybe not so much, it's it's not formed as an um, uh, a process that everyone follows, but you're always thinking, okay, what's the problem? Who are the stakeholders? What can I do? Um, 
and the small groups, it facilitates a great learning. What was your favorite memory of your time in nursing at McMaster? HSL, honestly, that library has witnessed the the peak joys and the lowest of the lowest moments uh, of the entire four years. Um, and the community that was there, whatever background you came from, whatever interests you had, you will find some sort of a community at Mac um, that'll <laughs> adopt you in with their group and uh, help you have the best journey throughout your undergraduate or graduate education. So as a nurse, you need to keep up your skills. And we've already talked about your pursuit of other education and whatnot. But how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance knowing what you need to do to keep up you know, your, your nursing, your, your, for lack of a better way of describing it, your practical nursing skills? Well, you're also part of a regulatory program. So you're part of the College of Nurses of Ontario. Um, there is a quality assurance program, and you're supposed to be a, a um, lifelong motivated learner who can pinpoint what your areas of strength are, but also where your areas uh, where you need growth and improvement are. And you can have that with a mentor. You can have that with your manager. Um, there are some required meetings with your manager every few years to determine, okay, I think I'm good at this. I think I want to grow in these areas. What can I do? Um, so through these tools, you can pinpoint, yes, I need to learn more about X, Y, and Z treatment, or I'm not so familiar with X, Y, and Z, so how can I grow? And here are the courses that exist, whether virtual, in person, um, and sometimes you can have like tuition assistance with the, your organization where you're working. So, uh, for example, the critical care uh, nursing program uh, that was at George Brown College, um, my manager had funded me through the hospital um, to go into that program and to have an experience since I was working in a level 2B at the time, currently 2C NICU, which are just different levels within NICU provincially, depending on the age, the size, the weight of the baby and their needs. Um, I needed to go into a tertiary level to see, okay, what happens when my kid gets sent out to Toronto or to Sinai? Um, what happens in that facility? So you get hands-on training there. So definitely a, a tip for anyone who is going newly into the field, look at your um, organizational offerings, because a lot of times there is money that's there and no one's using it for educational purposes. Yeah, that's a good tip. So you talked about, um, you know, on the practical side in your part-time job, you work with babies who are having some, some health issues challenging. So mm -hmm. I imagine it can be joyful, but very stressful and sometimes very sad. So how do you, how do you as a person manage that um, within yourself? Funny, I was just talking about this with my sister, who is a 911 operator um, and a dispatching officer with Toronto Police. So um, I think the value of debriefs and knowing that you you're part of a team. So working in NICU, yes, it brings a whole lot of heartfelt moments, but it also brings sometimes occasionally more tragic moments. And thankfully, in a level 2B and a 2C setting, we send them home almost 99% of the time. But there's always that 1% where um, they may not go home or they, they may not survive um, clinically. Um, so... I remember my first patient death would probably be um, like one of the moments that really struck with me. And that actually didn't happen where I currently work. It happened during my schooling uh, where Ruth Chen. So she's, um, she was not sure if you know Ruth Chen. She's I know who McMaster. Ruth Chen is. Yep. Yep. 
to this day. This lady, I don't think she knows her, the impact that she's left in my life, um, but she was my clinical uh, preceptor um, when I was on inpatient pediatrics at McMaster Children's Hospital. And then my little kiddo needed to be transferred out into PICU. So she was like, why don't you use this opportunity to go across and see what happens in PICU? Um, and I went and I was paired up with the most seasoned nurse on the ward who ended up getting a fly-in assignment for a kid. And I can share this now because it's out with the public. Um, a little kiddo who was unfortunately strangled by a stepfather with a shoelace in front of his stepbrother. Um, and I remember she looked at me and said, listen, you want to be a part of this? Just stick to the wall. Watch. If there's something that I'll assign you, you go and do it. But I, this will be something that will forever shape who you are as a nurse. And I got to see the whole code. I got to see, which unfortunately the child did not make it. Um, so at the end, uh, the individual who was paired up with me gave me a basin, a towel, and said, make this kid look presentable for his mom to see him for the last time. And I remember Ruth Chen um, was with me the next day because I ended up staying way past my clinical hours. And I needed to go back into clinical and I couldn't process what what just happened. Um, so that importance of sitting down in an office with someone that you value their opinion and trust their judgment. And I sat with Ruth and I had to mentally go through what just happened. What, what did we witness? Because we're human at the end of the day. And Ruth helped me walk through that process. So those tragic moments ever since have been that I look for someone in every job that I trust. Um, in order to have that call with or that meeting with to say, hey, can I just debrief? Even if I don't feel bad at the time. So I process things very differently. The first death that I witnessed as a registered nurse with a baby, everyone seemed to have been crying afterwards and they had a teen debrief. Didn't feel anything because I had an, another job to run to right after. 24 hours later, I'm driving and I end up out of nowhere with like a severe crying spell. Uh, where I had to park on the side, again, reached out to my clinical educator at Trillium, Carol Blair, to say, can we just talk about this? So ever since now, if I have suicidal calls um, at 811, no matter how I feel at the moment, I still reach out to someone who is in a clinical leadership position to say, can we debrief? It it makes it makes the attachment moment get processed. And then you learn more about, okay, what can I do for the next time I face something like this? Well, and I think that's good practice for anything. Everybody has challenges, right? So it's not just for nurse, but it's it's having the person that you can talk to about it and 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 say it out loud instead of internalizing. So I think that's really, really great that you found something that helps you to do that because that's a high pressure job and the things that you have to deal with are much different than the ones I do every day in the but, alumni but house, still, but still you, you need someone to debrief with, right? Exactly. <laughs> you need someone to talk to and to realize I'm human at the end of the day. Yeah. And I could, especially like, I'm not a mother, but I see it a lot with the mothers uh, or the parents in general that are in the field where sometimes they perform even better because they can almost see their child within that case that they're dealing with. But then sometimes it's like, oh, what if this happens to my child? And then they need a moment to just process what just happened. And do you find that you're at this stage in your career, you're pretty good about your work-life balance and, and finding things outside of work that give you joy and keep you away from work? Although I love education very much and I love that continuous growth in work, which requires you to put in um, a lot of hours. I'm also very firm with myself. Being born to two parents that are very hardworking, um, I, I have my boundaries with work. So once my work hours are done, I will turn off all of my equipment, whether it's a corporate job, I'll turn off my phone, whether it's clinical. If I've done my hours, I'm not interested in overtime. Um, most of the time I can do one here and there, but at one point I have to decide 
no life is for the living and I work to live. I don't live to work. So I, I set that boundary and I try to stick to it unless I'm in a financial need that I need to make more at this season. So let's go back to your Mac days. And is there one piece of advice you wish you um, knew when you first graduated? Uh, there is. Um, and I think I, I don't know about other fields, but I think definitely within nursing as a student um, or many undergraduate education uh, fields, I don't think we speak enough about if you don't know what you're doing or if you think you've made the wrong decision, it's completely fine. Someone else is feeling like that as well. Um, I think a lot of us just carry through, like walk through our university days thinking I made the best decision. I trust what I chose. Um, it, I didn't have a master plan of any sort. It's more like I wanted nursing. I wanted labor and delivery. Walked in and I'm like, mm, maybe this is not for me. Third year thought of dropping out, but I was like, oh, too far into it. Um, just finish it and see what else can uh, take place. So I think we need to have, like as a tip for a new student, go into your clinical advisor's office and um, your admissions office and ask, okay, what can I do? But have a plan, try to stick to it. But if you feel like this is no longer bringing you joy, it's completely fine. Revisit the idea and see what can happen. So let's go back to you. You, you talked a little bit about in third year, like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. What do I need to do? So how did you handle that? Like, what, what, what did you, like, was there something that happened or it was just kind of like, oh, I just don't know anymore. So a little bit about nursing school, the way it's done in Mac. Uh, first year, you have your clinical labs. You have your theory classes, but then you have your labs. So first year is labs just in, in hospital, on site at Mac, uh, beside the store that's in the health sciences building. Um, and then second year, you start going into the medical surgical uh, floors, which are very, very um, heavy floors. So you have multiple patients. It's a lot of running around. But in order to specialize, you have to work a little bit of med surge because it gives you that skill and time management and self-management. While some people enjoy that for the rest of their careers, this was not what was going to be my case. Uh, and then in third year, you can start having some specialties. And in fourth year, you really start to specialize if that's an interest of yours. Um, so third year, I was placed, I think first semester was like cardiology, hated cardiology, not a fan of the heart. Um, and then second semester, I went into urology, nephrology, had the greatest, one of the greatest instructors that I could ask for, who was the wound care specialist. So she was a nurse practitioner. This lady thrived off of like stage four ulcers. She would enjoy fixing this for people. But she always pushed me into more challenging situations, which I didn't have the guts and stomach for. Um, and then I remember I would pass out from things that I'm seeing, which was, it was my first experience blacking out to begin with, um, vomited in front of a patient before. Um, and then I reached the end of the term and I'm like, this is not for me. Yeah. Uh, but little did I know at the time that it's completely okay because the nature of nursing is you could work in corporate companies if you wanted to and be the type of nurse that's wearing uh, like dresses and pants and heels. And then you could go into a very casual role where you're working from home and you could do clinical advising and you could do curriculum and you could do dental nursing. Um, so it's not just in hospital. Um, so I needed to find my niche, which eventually the way it's, it's a very unique way that I ended up in NICU. But um, once I found the area that my heart was in, that's when the enjoyment started. But in order to get there, you had to survive those 
initial placements that you may not enjoy as much. So that's the time where I thought this is not for me at all. Sometimes we have to go through the hardest part before we find actually what we like, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything you think you could change about how you did your nursing education at McMaster, like to not have that moment in, in third year? Or do you think that just would have happened? I don't think there's a way really around it because it's almost like, um, like from a spiritual perspective, had God not allowed these things to align, these placements to align back to back, I might have never made it to NICU at the end, which then might have not opened up all of the other doors that subsequently it continued to open. So I went into, I was working at the hospital outside of McMaster. I was working as a clinical extern there, which is like an unregulated healthcare professional, considering that you're already in third year, you're working, but under the delegation and supervision of a registered nurse. Um, and I met with my manager just for a regular check-in and she was saying, hey, would, is anything that we could do for you to make this experience more enjoyable? He said, is there any way that I could shadow a day in labor and delivery? Thinking this is where I absolutely want to be. Um, comes back to me in a few days saying, hey, listen, we're so sorry. The educator in labor and delivery um, denied access to labor and delivery. But Nick, you said we are okay if you come and shadow one day. I end up going for one unpaid shadowing day in NICU. Conveniently, that day they needed someone. There was a case where they needed Arabic translation. I ended up translating. Same day, McMaster posts, they're opening some positions for fourth year placements. So while I'm there, I'm like, hey, Mac just posted this and I'm interested. They're like, oh, yeah, do you want to have the interview right now? <laughs> um, so the way things lined up, yeah. uh, I don't think there there was something that I could have done to avoid the hatred in third year of like, no, I don't think I want this, but I'm glad that I stuck it out at the end. So are you a person that when you see a door opening, you just run right through it? Or do you have to think about, hmm, is this the right decision for me? Um, I'll stare at that door for a long while. Um, I'll overthink that door, but I'm also someone who wants to act quickly upon things. So I'll start the pursuit of that door. If things are going smoothly, then I will spiritually take it as a sign to, yep, keep going. But if I start facing obstacles, I'll still try. But if the obstacles are just, no matter the effort, they're still there and they're not being cracked down, then I will take that as a, leave that door. Maybe it's great, just not for me. Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years professionally? That's a phenomenal question. Uh, that's a phenomenal question. I think I'm constantly between, should I go back and do some more schooling? Um, specifically here, the not the pressure, but the direction where I'm constantly thinking, I'm like, should I go back to a nurse practitioner with a peds focus um, and focus just clinical? Or should I continue growing within the educational field? Um, one has more of that adrenaline rush, but not necessarily uh, financially as rewarding as the other. Um, so for the longest time, I think I'm just going to try to keep balancing both so that I get to enjoy that adrenaline rush clinically, but at the same time, enjoy the educational piece of it, the adult education piece of it. Um, so I'm hoping to see myself within five years, somewhere between clinical bedside as a nurse practitioner, um, advocating for newborns, but also somewhere in higher education um, in regards of like curriculum development and making programs more um, tailored for student needs. 
Do you, feel, do you feel like you're a kind of person that needs the adrenaline rush in the work that you do? Yeah, I'm a person that gets bored. Um, so if I'm not, if I'm not challenged within that role, and there's like this fine line between being challenged to the point where you feel like this is not growing you, it's more freezing you. Um, but also if I, I like process, I like establishing a process, but different cases, which is the beauty of 811 or the beauty of uh, NICU. It's the same process in the background. But it's different people that I'm dealing with. Um, every patient is different. Every patient lived experience is different. Um, so I get to have that adrenaline rush, but also not get bored. Do you think you need the ad- adrenaline rush in your private life, like outside of work? Or Oh, God, no. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my time where that was there, and I think I'm done with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now there's an honest answer for us. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I think I you... like the stability in the personal life. That's good. That's good. And so, you know, like we're out, you know, I guess technically we're, as I say this, we're, I always thought there'd be a big pronouncement. We're out of the pandemic, but it's kind of like, well, it kind of, you know, it's part of the life and we're not really in the pen, you know, the heat of the pandemic that we were. And I think technically it might be over now, but what do you think you learned about yourself through the pandemic? Uh, I think I learned that no matter how much you think you can function alone um, and independently, that you're still part of a bigger community um, and you can do the best to protect yourself. But if other people are not doing what they're supposed to do, whether on on the public side, whether you're part of a clinical team that you operate within, um, I could do my job, but if someone else doesn't do it, it's still, the outcome is still not going to be pleasant. Um, So I learned more about the importance of a community. And um, even though there is beauty in remote work and remote visits to a physician or a nurse practitioner um, or Instacart and being able to order food online, um, something is just not the same as having it as an option versus having it as the only option. Right, right. Um, As we sort of get to the close of our time together, let's talk about your favorite memory outside of the classroom at McMaster. Uh, we had COCA, which is the Coptic Orthodox as Student Association, but I'm butchering the last C and the A. Um, this A is the association, but I can't remember the C. Um, and essentially, it got a lot of different members uh, from the community and outside of the community who shared their Orthodox faith. And we would have um, different events throughout the year on campus, off campus. Uh, we would go on trips together, have speakers come in and speak to us, whether it was um, about faith topics or whether it was about um, self-development topics or assisting students with meeting their goals. Um, that was my Thursday night was definitely my favorite night on campus because you felt like even though you're in school, it became almost like a second home. McMaster has that way of doing that, right? Like you have your 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 academic friends and then you have your your extracurricular friends in a different sort of world. And it's nice to balance those two. But definitely the hot dog, uh, the hot dog truck outside of the student yeah. center continues to be probably most of the students' favorite go-to place. Yeah. Willie dog is still popular and still there. <laughs> it's Willie dog always there. Yeah, always there. <laughs> um, so is there a book you'd recommend or a book you're reading right now? Uh, absolutely. So uh, this one, there's actually two of them. So they do have, sorry, as I pulled them out, they do have a lot of sticky notes. The first one, I'll start with the more, I guess, academic one. And the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, uh, which is essentially Maxwell, John C. Maxwell. And it's the 25th uh, edition. This is the one that I have on hand. And it gives you various stories about people who were 
big leaders in their organizations. And it just tells you about what made them a good leader or what made them an awful leader that people hated interacting with. Um, so th this is one book that's been um, read throughout a course that I'm taking just for fun um, on leadership with a friend of mine. And then the other one is How to Hug a Porcupine. Oh, um, so I'm not <laughs> sure if you know it, but it's easy ways to love the difficult people in your life. Um, and it has different sections like the so the porcupine anytime they, they refer to a porcupine, it's about a difficult person. So it's like the porcupine friend, the porcupine spouse, the porcupine um, parent, the porcupine co-worker. Uh, so different people that you might come across and or the porcupine stranger, like you're out driving and there's someone who's just being difficult out of no reason. Um, and it just talks to you about easy ways to love them uh, and to show care, even though they might be difficult. Hey, I think we all have some porcupines in our lives. So that's probably a good book for everybody to read. Or I myself could be the porcupine. So it ends with the porcupine and me. <laughs> ah, that's very true. Very true. Um, and finally, what's your idea of perfect happiness? The beach, people that you're close to and people that you don't have to walk on eggshells with. So you're just being truly yourself um without thinking twice well sandra thank you so much for joining us today it's been a great conversation and a really interesting journey that you've had um, um after mcmaster and and you know the education and the practical and the and the career you've chosen to do it's it's um and also i think it's really really great that you shared the moment in your third year because a lot of students have those moments in second or third year it's like oh my goodness is this really the right way to go um and how you tackled that and and succeeded Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully, I look forward to one day, hopefully working with McMaster at one point within the School of Nursing um, for collaborative events with student uh, associations. Like we need we need these conversations because otherwise you will feel like you're the only one that's going through them. Absolutely. I'm sure you will be more than welcome back to the School of Nursing. Thank you, Karen. Thank Appreciate you. your time.